Finding Home is a podcast series presented by the Irish American Archive Society. The Society is a nonprofit organization whose mission is to research, present, and preserve information about the history of the Irish in Cleveland. Thank you for listening, and please enjoy. Greetings. I'm Margaret Lynch of the Irish American Archives Society. Welcome to Finding Home. It's a podcast series about the history of the Irish in Cleveland. Last episode, I spoke of conflict between Bishop Richard Gilmore and the Ladies' Land League. The Land League was formed in response to the so-called Forgotten Famine in Ireland. Today, I'm going to look at how that Forgotten Famine had a little-known impact on Cleveland. In the late 1870s and early 1880s, several years of bad weather battered the west of Ireland. The tenant holdings in the West were small, and harvests were poor in the best of times. The weather couldn't be altered, but maybe the injustices of the tenant farming system could be remedied. The Land League was formed and organized rent strikes and boycotts against landlords. One contemporary observer was concerned about the hunger and unrest of the forgotten famine years. This observer, named James Hack Took, resolved to do something about it. Took was an English Quaker and a banker who had been involved in relief efforts during the Great Famine. He proposed what he called an assisted emigration scheme. In English usage, the word scheme did not imply anything nefarious, but was rather a synonym for something like initiative. Took focused his efforts on two areas that seemed to be the hardest hit, communities surrounding Blacksod Bay in County Mayo, and along the Connemara coast in County Galway. Took sought donations from English patrons in order to offer assisted immigration to the neediest families in both areas. He arranged for ocean-going steamships to anchor in Blacksod Bay and Galway Bay so that the families would not have to travel to the large ports of Ireland or England. The fund would pay for their ocean passage, as well as for transportation to destinations in the U.S. or Canada on the other side. The Took Assisted Emigration Scheme prioritized assistance to families. As one of the Took overseers reported, and I quote, I made it also a rule, in cases of families, that the whole family should go or none. An inclination was occasionally shown to leave one or two members of the family behind on the land, an old father or mother or brother or someone, an idea which had to be sternly resisted if any permanent good were to accrue to the country. End quote. The idea was that a family's vacated land would be used to enlarge and improve the sustainability of the holdings of a neighboring family who stayed behind. The families who left on the Took scheme from County Mayo all hailed from communities surrounding Blacksod Bay. They included townlands on the Belmullet Peninsula, townlands such as Ballycroy and Mulrani along the western edge of the bay, and the townlands of Ackle Parish along the southern edge. If the place names of Ballycroy, Mulrani, and Ackle sound familiar to you, that's not surprising. A disproportionate number of Irish immigrants to Cleveland hail from County Mayo, especially Ackle Island, and nearby Ballycroy and Mulrani. Cleveland has an active Mayo Society. The two communities of Ackle Parish and Cleveland launched a twinning relationship in 2003. Fifteen sailings left from Blacksod Bay in 1883 and 1884, carrying more than 3,000 passengers. The ships were headed either to Boston or to Quebec. 
Passengers were not encouraged to settle in the crowded port cities, but in the heartlands, especially the agricultural heartlands of both Canada and the U.S. The passenger manifests often recorded onward destinations. Rosemary Garrity, a volunteer with a heritage center on the Belmollet Peninsula, has transcribed and indexed the 15 ship manifests. The passengers can be searched on the Heritage Center's website at www.blacksodbayemigration.ie. Of the 3,000-plus individuals who set sail from Blacksod Bay in 1883 and 1884, onward destinations were specified for about 2,000. So that means destinations are missing for a third of the passengers. But the recorded destinations reveal some trends. The Blackside Bay immigrants said they were headed for places in 23 states or provinces. However, only four states attracted more than 100 immigrants. Pennsylvania tops the list with 23% of the recorded destinations. Ohio comes in second with 15%. Despite Tuke's interest in steering passengers toward farmland, the Pennsylvania coal fields were the biggest draw overall. And drilling down to individual communities... Cleveland actually tops the list with 10% of the recorded destinations. More research needs to be done to confirm the actual landing places of the immigrants. However, even from a preliminary take, Cleveland was a significant destination for immigrants who left Northwest Mayo on the Tuke Emigration Scheme. The Pennsylvania coal fields and Cleveland had in common that both were tied to the growth of the steel industry in the 1880s. Of course, coal had other uses for heating and powering steam engines, but demand for coal grew as steel took off. A coal byproduct called coke was needed for the relatively new Bessemer steelmaking process. Pittsburgh's Andrew Carnegie was an early adapter of the process in the U.S., transforming Pittsburgh into a steelmaking center, but Cleveland was not far behind. When the Tuke immigrants arrived, Cleveland was one of the country's fastest-growing industrial centers. From a population of about 43,000 in 1860 before the Civil War, Cleveland's population almost quadrupled by 1880 to about 160,000. In the next decade, it soared to more than 260,000. Cleveland had already established itself as a transportation hub before the Civil War. By the 1880s, steelmaking was dominant along with the building of steel-hulled ships. The opportunities for back-breaking work were plentiful. The growth of steelmaking had a particularly concentrated impact on two Cleveland neighborhoods. They were the two neighborhoods that kept their Irish identity intact the longest, the two neighborhoods most associated with County Mayo. They were Newburgh and the Angle. Geography and industry converged to shape both neighborhoods. Cleveland, of course, sits on the southern shore of Lake Erie, and the Cuyahoga River roughly bisects it. A northern tier of railroad lines runs east-west along the lakeshore, and another set comes up from the south. The ones from the south brought coal from Pennsylvania and West Virginia. Iron ore arrived on ships from Upper Michigan and Minnesota. The iron ore docks, along with railroad and shipyards, were located at the junction of river and lake on the west side of the river. This industrialized stretch was originally part of Ohio City, which was annexed by Cleveland in 1854. It came to be called the Angle. The ironworks and later steel mills were located, along with more railroad yards, south of Cleveland, along the east side of the river. 
Land was more plentiful south of Cleveland when the first iron rolling mill was built in 1857. Newburgh was the location. Originally an independent village, Newburgh was annexed by Cleveland in 1873. I believe that we have the Took Emigration Scheme to thank for the strong Mayo presence in Newburgh and the Angle. It's not just the Took passengers who settled in those two neighborhoods, but also their children born in the U.S., family and friends who followed them to Cleveland, and others from Mayo who paid their own passage but were also fleeing the forgotten famine at the same time. A small wave of Ackle immigrants had actually come to this city in the early 1860s to escape a series of bad weather and growing years that were specific to Ackle Island. These early Ackle pioneers split themselves between the Angle and Newburgh. Through chain migration, family and friends of the 1860s immigrants arrived in Cleveland throughout the next decade. Newburgh's ironworks, which converted to steelmaking in 1868, were an especially strong draw. When the opportunity came for immigration via the Took scheme in the early 1880s, active family connections prompted Ackle people to choose Cleveland as a destination. Some even specified Newburgh by name. However, in 1883 and 1884, when the Took ships were sailing, Newburgh was a less promising place than it had earlier been for newly arriving Irish immigrants. In May 1882, workers walked out of the Cleveland Rolling Mills, the largest employer in the area. The workers and strikers were agitating for higher pay and better working conditions. Many of the strikers were Irish. Owner William Chisholm locked them out and sent agents to Poland and today's Czech Republic to recruit low-cost strike breakers. Some of the Irish strikers were eventually rehired or found jobs in the Newburgh Railroad Yards or with other steel companies in Newburgh, but tensions remained high. Another violent strike took place in 1885. Some took passengers who were intended to go to Newburgh diverted to the angle instead. The angle sloped down in a fan shape toward the Cuyahoga River, north of Detroit and West 25th Streets. The gently sloping areas were settled first in the 1860s. The Took immigrants had to crowd onto the last available hillside, which was also the steepest, where the Lakeview Terrace projects are now. A small triangle of streets framed the hillside, crisscrossed by narrow alleys. In 1890, the Plain Dealer reported, and I quote, the three-sided bit of ground lies between Old River, Hanover, and Division Streets upon the side of a steep hill, and 400 people lodge nightly in its 20-odd houses. End quote. Hanover is today's West 28th Street. The Plain Dealer's math suggests an average of 20 people per household. The Plain Dealer was reporting in 1890 on the Triangle, later shortened to Angle, because it was gaining notoriety as an Irish ghetto, really the city's first ghetto. Hundreds of recent immigrants were packed into low-quality housing on steep, narrow lots at the edge of industrial tracks. The work on the iron ore docks was as needed on a day-to-day -day basis. Crippling and fatal accidents were frequent. Outsiders associated the angle with drinking, brawling, and lawlessness. As the plain dealer claimed, and I quote, ignorance, hot blood, and poverty lead to the prevalent disorder through a path of overindulgence in the few pleasures at the command of the people, that's to say drink. With the ignorance of fear, they regard the police as their common enemy, end quote. 
The plane dealer did not blame the problems on a specific wave of immigrants, but the Irish-American community in Cleveland knew about the forgotten famine and assisted emigration. In the previous podcast episode, I mentioned the famine relief efforts of the 1880s and the formation of the Land League chapters here. In February 1883, Clevelander Patrick Smith, a wealthy member of St. Malachy Parish, joined a national Irish-American delegation to Washington. The delegates spoke with President Chester Arthur about assisted immigration and, quote, the policy of the English government in first reducing the Irish peasantry to abject poverty and then sending them penniless to the United States, end quote. The delegates argued, and I quote, that emigration from Ireland is political oppression and not a natural necessity, end quote. The influx of destitute Irish immigrants was noted here. Each year, every parish pastor had to file a report to the bishop. When Father James Maloney, pastor of St. Malachy Parish, submitted his report for 1883, submitted it in early January of 1884, Maloney admitted that 270 out of 580 parish families had not made any financial contribution to the church that year. Father Maloney noted, and I quote, the number of poor emigrants that settled here last year was very great, end quote. The Took emigrants were not responsible for all the poverty, crowding, and underemployment in the Angle, or the urban ills that resulted, but the Triangle Gang did have Took connections. Michael and Patrick Gorman were young teenagers when their family arrived on a Took sailing in 1883. The red-haired Michael, nicknamed Foxy, was named by the plane dealer as a leading triangle boy. The family moved out of the angle in 1891 to a new development on McCart Street, today's West 69th Street, but the small lots and inferior housing stock of the angle were replicated there on West 69th. The Gorman brothers and their friends were frequently in the news for petty theft. They were now dubbed the McCart Street Gang. Later, during the bootlegging 1920s and 1930s, the name of Shimmy Patton was legendary in Cleveland. Patton was born in the U.S., but his mother and two oldest brothers were among the poor two immigrants who came to St. Malachy Parish in 1883. To counteract the pull of the streets, St. Malachy's formed a club for boys and young men, whether they were in school or not. The LaSalle Club offered boxing, tumbling, and other activities world champion boxer Johnny Kilbane had to quit school at age 10 to work as a water boy on the iron ore docks, but he got a start in boxing at the LaSalle Club. The boxer's father immigrated to Cleveland in the early years of the Forgotten Famine. His grandmother Bridget Kilbane, an uncle, and several McGinty cousins immigrated via the Took scheme in 1884. Many of the Took-assisted passengers stuck together, even 20 or 30 years later. Living in four neighboring households on West 29th Street in the 1910 census were nine tooth passengers from the same sailing, 12 children born in the U.S., and five in-laws. Tooth passengers married other tooth passengers here. Edward English was eight years old when he came with three older brothers in 1884. He later married Celia Kilbane, who had arrived with her family in 1883. Celia Kilbane's older brother James also married a Took-assisted immigrant named Margaret McManaman. The families, English Kilbane and McManaman, and those on the four households of West 29th Street, all left from Ackle Parish and settled in the Angle. It took time, 
but the Tuke-sponsored immigrants adapted to their new home. I spoke of saloonkeeper Annie Dugan in an earlier episode. She and her family were Tuke immigrants. They stopped in Newburgh first, but quickly shifted to the angle. Annie ran the family saloon on Hanover Street. As the family moved west along Detroit and Herman, Annie's daughter May Dugan took over the saloon. May Dugan was so well regarded in her community that a social service center was named after her in 1974. Thomas Masterson arrived with his family when he was 12. Nicknamed Coal Oil Masterson, he helped to found the West Side Irish American Club in 1930. Martin Lynch, a distant relative of mine, was a child of eight when he arrived with his family in 1883. His son James would serve as the voice of Cleveland St. Patrick's Day Parade for many years. These success stories take us ahead of our current timeline. For today, I hope you'll remember the name of James Hack Tuke, who raised the funds that brought hundreds of Mayo families to Cleveland, families who still make their home here today. Thanks for listening. I'm Margaret Lynch. Have a great day. You've been listening to Finding Home, a podcast series presented by the Irish American Archive Society of Cleveland. Find out more about the Society or get in touch at irisharchives.org.